10 things your child should know about reading, writing, math for pre-K, kindergarten, first grade, second grade, third grade, and fourth grade are all available on my website, blackandeducation.com. Selena Norris Gray was born in 1823 on the plantation of George Washington Park Custis on the grounds of what is today Arlington National Cemetery. In 1778, John Park Custis, the son of Martha Washington and her first husband, purchased 1,100 acres of land on the top of hills that overlook what is now Washington, D.C. Martha Washington was, of course, married to George Washington from 1759 until his death in 1799. They had no children, but Martha's children from her first marriage were wholly accepted by George Washington, and he treated them as his own. When Martha's son John died, Part of his estate went to his son, George Washington Park Custis. Custis grew up at Mount Vernon, where George and Martha Washington lived. As George Washington's step-grandson, he felt a close association with Washington and viewed him as a hero. Three years after George Washington died, and in the same year that Martha Washington died, Custis decided to build upon the land that his father left him. He wanted to build a place that was a testament to what he believed George Washington was. He took furniture, china, family heirlooms and portraits, etc., to the new location. And of course, he used many of the enslaved people he inherited to build this new estate. In 1804, he married Mary Lee Fitzhugh. They had several children, but only one of them survived until adulthood, Mary Anna Randolph Custis. She was thus the direct great-granddaughter of Martha Washington. In 1831, Mary Anna married Robert E. Lee the man who would become the leader of the Confederate Army during the Civil War. This was the environment that Selena Norris Gray was born into. She was enslaved by some of the richest and her most well-known families in the state of Virginia and in the United States. Her father and mother were Leonard and Sally Norris. She had no right to self-determination, to determine for herself where she would live or how she would raise her children or even what she might do in a day. Despite these challenges, she was, by all accounts, a remarkable woman. She was able to raise eight children who had respect and dignity for themselves and who ended up being leaders in the African-American communities in which they lived after the Civil War. Selena was forced to be a servant for Mariana, Robert E. Lee's wife and Martha Washington's great-granddaughter. She eventually married Thornton Gray, who was also enslaved by the Custises and was forced to take care of the horses and carriages. Selena and Thornton had eight children, Emma, Anise, Florence, Sarah, Ada, Selena, John, and their youngest son, Harry. Selena had other family members on this plantation as well, such as her brother, Wesley Norris, her sister, Mary Norris, and her cousin, George Parks. In 1857, George Washington Park Custis died, and Robert E. Lee became the executor of his will. While he was to know by no means a kind person, he fathered several children with enslaved women. He made provisions in his will that the people he owned should be set free, take into account the debts that he owed within five years of his death. Many of the enslaved people of his estate recall that he made promises to free them upon his death without any waiting period at all. So when Selena's brother and sister, Wesley and Mary, and her cousin, George Parks, decided to leave Arlington House, it was under the belief that they were free or should have been free upon Custis's death. They waited one year and five months and made their escape in 1859. They made it all the way to Westminster, Maryland, on their way to Pennsylvania. And the specifics of what happened were given by Wesley Norris, Selena's brother, in the following account. My name is Wesley Norris. 
I was born a slave on the plantation of George Park Custis. After the death of Mr. Custis, General Lee, who had been made executor of the estate, assumed control of the slaves, in number about 70. It was the general impression among the slaves of Mr. Custis that on his death they should be forever free. In fact, this statement had been made to the slaves by Mr. C. years before. At the death, we were informed by General Lee that by the condition of the will, we must remain slaves for five years. I remained with General Lee for about 17 months, when my sister Mary, a cousin of ours, and I determined to run away, which we did in the year 1859. We had already reached Westminster, Maryland, on our way to the north, when we were apprehended and thrown into prison. And General Lee, notified of our arrest, we remained in prison for 15 days, when we were sent back to Arlington, where we were immediately taken before General Lee, who demanded the reason why we ran away. We frankly told him that we considered ourselves free. He then told us he would teach us a lesson we never would forget. He then ordered us to the barn, where in his presence, we were tied firmly to the post by Mr. Gwynn, our overseer, who was ordered by General Lee to strip us to the waist and give us 50 lashes each, excepting my sister, who received but 20. We were accordingly stripped to the skin by the overseer, who, however, had sufficient humanity to decline whipping us. Accordingly, Dick Williams, a county constable, was called in, who gave us the number of lashes ordered. General Lee, in the meantime, stood by and frequently enjoined Williams to lay it on well, an injunction which he did not fail to heed. Not satisfied with simply lacerating our naked flesh, General Lee then ordered the overseer to thoroughly wash our backs with brine or salt water, which was done. After this, my cousin and myself were sent to Hanover Courthouse Jail, my sister being sent to Richmond to an agent to be hired. We remained in jail about a week when we were sent to Nelson County, where we were hired out by General Lee's agent to work on the Orange and Alexander Railroad. We remained thus employed for about seven months and were then sent to Alabama and put to work on what is known as the Northeastern Railroad. In January 1863, we were sent to Richmond, from which place I finally made my escape through the rebel lines to freedom. I have nothing further to say. What I have stated is true in every particular, and I can at any time bring at least a dozen witnesses, both white and black, to substantiate my statements. I'm at present employed by the government, and I'm at work in the National Cemetery on Arlington Heights, where I can be found by those who desire further particulars. My sister referred to is at present employed by the French minister at Washington and will confirm my statement. This account was given by Wesley Norris as it appeared in the National Anti-Slavery Standard in 1866. Wesley Norris, his sister Mary, and his cousin George were beaten savagely under the direction of Robert E. Lee while he was a U.S. military officer. They were then forced to work for other people and businesses, such as railroads, to help pay off the debt that was owed by the estate that Robert E. Lee was executor of, and to help build other people's businesses, such as the railroads that we've mentioned. This was an example of how black people were building up the wealth of other people while not a single dime was going into their pockets. Back to the 1850s and 60s. In the meantime, Selina Gray was still at Arlington House, being a personal servant to Robert E. Lee's wife, Mariana. In April of 1861, Confederate troops fired on Fort Sumter in South Carolina. Later that same month, from his home in Arlington, Robert E. Lee rejected Abraham Lincoln's offer to lead the U.S. Army 
and three days later, he was appointed commander-in-chief of Virginia's military. Within weeks, the U.S. Army would take over Arlington House. On May 16, 1861, Marianna fled from Arlington House, taking what she could of her family's heirlooms, including historic items that belonged to George and Martha Washington. She called Selena Norris Gray over to her and gave her the keys to the estate, including the keys to areas where they kept additional artifacts from George Washington that they could not take with them. Shortly thereafter, on May 24, 1861, the Union Army did take over Arlington House and made it a headquarters for some of its operations. As the months went on, Selena and Thornton and their children remained at Arlington House. They cut a hole in the wall of the small room that they and their children had to live in. The children were staying in the loft or the attic of the room where Selena and Thornton lived. The children's area was not high enough for them to stand up, and all eight of the children slept there. So Thornton cut through the wall where they were staying and expanded the living area. As the Union soldiers occupied the plantation, Selena noticed that some of the artifacts that belonged to the family and to George Washington were missing. She complained directly to General McDowell and gave them the keys to the storeroom. That way, the artifacts were saved and eventually moved to the U.S. Patent Office away from further damage or theft. Selena Gray is most remembered for this action because the artifacts were under her care for six months and her direct complaints led to them being saved. She was a role model and a protector for her family. She and her husband left a legacy of survival and dignity that lasted for generations to come. They stayed at Arlington House and eventually became a part of Freedman's Village after the U.S. government forced them to leave the small area on the plantation in which they were living. Thornton Gray eventually rented a plot of land in what is called Green Valley in Northern Virginia, just outside of Washington, D.C. They also rented a stand in Washington, D.C., from which they sold food that they made on their farm. Thornton and Selena's youngest child, Harry, later developed his skills as a mason, and he worked at the Department of Interior's patent office for almost 40 years. He bought land in Arlington in October of 1880 and began to build a style of home that was not seen in that part of Arlington. He built a Victorian-era Queen Anne and Italianate-style row house in Arlington that was more like the architecture seen in cities and not the type of architecture seen in the rural areas of Arlington. His daughter Martha Gray Gillum said of him, Yes, Papa worked and brought a 10-acre farm. Then over the years, almost brick by brick, he built the two-story brick house, at that time the only one for miles around. He always wanted a brick house. Since he built it like the city row house in Washington, there are no windows on the sides, and the house is narrow and tall, but it was a brick house for his family. All four of Harry's children finished high school, and given that this was the end of the 1800s and early 1900s, that was a remarkable thing to achieve for a black family or any family in America at that time. Selena and Thornton Gray's most impressive feats are not what they did for Robert E. Lee or George Washington's legacy, but what they did for their own family and their own grandchildren. <laughs>